It's good to see you here this morning, church. I want to take just a few minutes before I start sharing with you the sermon that I have this morning to just thank you for who you are and what you've been and my time with you here. Um, You've had some wins that you have created. And I'd like to just thank you as your interim pastor for what you've been willing to do and some changes you've been willing to make and some movement we've been willing and, and had the opportunity to see. Um, if you've not noticed when you come into the parking lot, the, greeter, the new greeter ministry tent, then you're probably blind. Um, that's a work of Greg Swack and a team of people he's put together. It's been proven that if a person does it, in the, 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 the statistics have shown that a person will decide if they're coming back to your church within seven minutes of their arrival. That's normally before they get into this room. So we're trying to capture them before they get in this room so they can get to know us a little bit and see the joy that is resounding when they get in the building. And so that's the reason for that. But you've done very well in making that possible. You've been engaged in Invest and Invite. Please continue in that. Invest and Invite is, a, uh, is an initiative so that we can make sure the gospel gets known to your friends and neighbors. Invest in relationship with them, then invite them to the church to hear the gospel. Invite them to a small group or a Sunday school class to get to know others so they can get to know the gospel. Thank you for being part of that. Part of Invest and Invite has been the leadership luncheon that we did a few weeks ago with Rick Stansbury. Many of you brought your friends to that event. It was wonderful to get to meet them. They had a chance to get to know our church a little bit, which was outstanding. And then this past week, you may not know it unless you aided with this, but this past week, um, Eastwood Baptist Church got to do something no church has ever done. You actually got to feed the men's basketball team at Western Kentucky University. Uh, some of y'all were in, involved in taking care of that. Just having a chance to connect with those students has been quite a deal. We'll be doing that for the women's team as soon as possible. We're looking forward to that. Uh, another thing I'd like to thank you for is your willingness to make some changes. You've watched the worship service. Uh, there have been a few transitions in the worship service that have been made. There will continue to be some that are on the uh, right side of doing right as we continue to learn more and more about how to reach the next generation for Christ. Thank you for being involved in that. That, that, is a, that is a transition that's needing to be made. As you can see, everything's not going to go away all of a sudden, nor will it ever all go away. You'll still be singing the songs you like and doing the things you still love to do. I've noticed something about worship. It's not really about the songs we sing. It's about the heart we bring. And we just want to remember as we come into this place to worship that we'll continue to, 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 to do things that will aid in your being able to worship Christ deeply and with knowledge and understanding and, and join in connecting with others and Him as you come together. But thank you for allowing Dana and I to move that ball forward a little bit and, uh, and, and make some transitions there. Uh, your graciousness and kindness and all of that is unusual, but it's very um, telling that you realize that gospel is more important than our preferences. It's a beautiful thing. And I would think you should thank yourselves for all you've done. That's when you join me. Yes. Now, you can do yourselves better than that. Come on, give yourselves. Don't make me look bad. I can do that all by myself, all right? Hey, if you've got your Bible, I'd be grateful if you'd turn it to Acts. This morning, we're Acts 4.23 is where you're going to pick up, and it's going to be quite a few minutes till we get there. Uh, this morning, I have, uh, been, uh, I have been convicted this week. You're going to see a video in just a moment. Uh, it's an atheist speaking truth about our necessity as Christians to share the gospel with others. I uh, watched this video and kind of looking for something as a good opener, as we often do, those of us that are communicators, and I realized this is the perfect opener 
And as I listened to it multiple times, I realized, Rick, you're a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. You don't take every opportunity to share the gospel. You can do better. I was convicted because I listened to an atheist tell me just how irrational, how irrational it is to remain silent about Jesus. I want you to listen closely to one of the leading magicians of our time, an atheist. He was approached by a Christian after one of his shows, and the outcome was he sat in front of his computer and shared this information. I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I get home from the show, and at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we, uh, we talk to folks and, you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the, um, what I call the hover position after I was old on big guy, probably about my age. And he walked over to me and he said, um, I was here last night at the show and, uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted. He was very complimentary about my use of language, and um, and then he said, "I brought this for you." And he handed me a uh, Gideon Pocket Edition. Um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament. Little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. But this guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like to show and so on. And then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And uh, 
That's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave you that book. That's all I wanted to say. Did you catch that? His exact words were at one point, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe there is a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate someone to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? Then he goes on to illustrate it by saying, hey, if I knew you were going to be hit by a truck and you didn't know it, at some point I would tackle you to save you from death. What is his point? He didn't realize that he spoke a theological truth right there. We know that we need to speak the gospel to save people from eternal death in hell. We need to share the gospel because there is a place called hell and the truck is coming, man. We've got to be talking about this Jesus that we believe in so much. This morning we're going to dive into a passage of scripture that will help us unearth how to deal with the obstacles that keep us from sharing the gospel. That's where we're going this morning. If you've got your Bibles, you already mentioned, turn it to Acts 4.23. We're not there yet, so hang with me. Let me give you a little background of the passage before we get to that. Peter and John, through the power of Jesus, healed a lame beggar. Those who saw what happened were shocked, and Peter unapologetically shares the gospel with the crowd after this healing takes place. And the passage says, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Then the religious authorities throw Peter and John in jail. The next day, they're taken before the court, and they're questioned. Even before those taken, uh, who, had taken the power, who had taken them to punish them for speaking the name of Jesus, they spoke boldly of Christ. Even with those who had taken them for speaking of Christ boldly, who could punish them, they shared Christ with them. Peter and John are told to leave the room while these jealous religious types decide what to do with them. And then verses 18 through 20 reveals the rest of the story. Here's what it says. Quotation marks. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, you're going to hear this again in just a moment. I want this to sink in. Their reply was, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And what they had seen and heard was Jesus healing transforming, dying on the cross, and resurrecting from the dead. They're saying we cannot keep from speaking of this. Now, Caitlin's going to take us from this point. She's going to share with you a passage of Scripture for today, the primary passage. And if you're at that Acts 4 passage, you want to follow along with her. Thank you, Caitlin. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him. You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voice together and God said, Sovereign to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the sea and the earth and everything in them, who through the mouth, mouth, mouth of our father, our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, 
Why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in the city they there were gathered together against their holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of, the, of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, to... Lord, to Look up upon your threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hands to heal and the signs to our wonder and are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Well, thank you, Caitlin. That was a long passage of scripture when she was rehearsing. Dane and I were up here standing next to each other, and he looked at me, and he said, I don't want to read that. And I said, I don't either. Well, let's let her do it. So, yes, that's a long passage of scripture. Thank you, Caitlin, so much. There are some things that are unearthed in that passage. As you can see, there was a specific, things that, specific things that took place because of their being told not to speak the name of Jesus. I want to give you some guidance this morning. Through the word of God, when you're hesitant to speak the name of Christ and told not to, what do we do? First of all, I want you to realize this. You need to practice gospel partners. Please take notes this morning or circle something, do something. I don't want you to miss this morning. This is amazingly important because most of us, we want to go share the gospel, but we're hesitant because of what someone might say. Practice gospel partners. The reason many of us don't share the gospel the way we would like to is because we haven't realized the potential of twos. The potential of twos. Every believer was meant to have a gospel partner. This is something that I had to repent of. And many things in this sermon, I spent my time as the, as the word unearthed the truth. Rick Howerton had to repent and say, God, I will do better. I will do better. I will do better. Every one of us needs a gospel partner. God meant for each of us to have someone who journeys alongside us through which we share the gospel. You find this throughout scripture. You go, I've never heard of this concept in my entire life. You have read it over and over and over again if you've read the Gospels of the New Testament and you just haven't realized it. But it is there. Jesus called his 12 disciples, but you may have missed the fact that he put them in pairs. Matthew 10, 1 through 4, the 12 disciples are listed in pairs. And this just before sending them out to share the Gospel. Acts 1, 13, they're listed in pairs. Mark 6, 7, as he's sending them on mission, the passage says he sent them out two by two. When Jesus sent his disciples out to do anything significant, he sent them out in twos. He sent two disciples to find the donkey for Palm Sunday. He sent Peter and John to prepare for the Passover. Throughout the New Testament, we find God putting his people together in twos for his purposes. Remember the names Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Silas. Two disciples were on the road to Emmaus. Paul sent Timothy and Erastus together to Macedonia. We need to be in twos if we're going to make the gospel known. There are levels of accountability there, but there's also an understanding that we're journeying together and I'll never be alone in this thing that makes me sometimes fearful or it's painful. The world gets it. If you went to Alcoholics Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous immediately you'd be given a partner. Those of you that work out at 4 o'clock in the morning, first of all, I pray for you. But those of you that work out at 4 o'clock in the morning, you probably have a partner that meets you there. And if you don't, some mornings you go, I'm just not going to show up. But when your partner's waiting for you there, 
you're going to be there. This kind of partnering is important. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 makes it known. Why is it important? Because two are better than one, because they have good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. What are we saying here? You will achieve far more together. Why? Because they have a good reward for their return. You will provide spiritual support and accountability, especially when pressure causes you to want to cave. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. And you will provide spiritual protection for each other. Though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. Some of y'all may need to overcome what Rick Howerton has to overcome. I am a self-reliant guy. I like to get it done all by myself. I would rather do it alone than call somebody to help me. It's not that I think I can accomplish it by myself. It's just I feel uneasy asking someone to do something alongside me. My prayer this week has been that God will give me a gospel partner. Someone who will say to me, we're going to share the gospel with someone I've been speaking to and you're going with me. And someone who I can say to him, I'm going to share the gospel with someone I need for you to journey with me. And I will meet you on one day a week to sit down and study God's word and pray for God to do things. And for God to open up his mind to us and tell us what we need to do and to make us the men we need to be. I need a gospel partner, but so do you. We will not stand alone because we cannot stand alone when they find themselves in this place they gather and they pray remember that uh, what it says on your outline I hope it says is uh, gather and pray really I want you to cling to that because you're going to understand what I'm saying more in just a moment have you noticed that when we have multiple options have you noticed that we have multiple options when someone in authority tells us what we can or can't do they were told what they couldn't do now we have multiple options Muhammad Ali was one of the greatest boxers of all time, and he was one of the most flamboyant boxers of all time. He often called himself Superman. Once while waiting in his seat for his flight to take off, the attendant graciously said to him, Sir, please buckle your seatbelt. His response was classic Ali. Superman don't need no seatbelt. The attendant's response was perfect. Superman don't need no airplane either. Buckle your seatbelt. The chief priest and elders told Peter and John what they were not to do. The passage says, They commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And what was their response? They didn't question the person's authority or do as they told them to do. They knew there was way too much at stake, somebody's eternal life. So they went to their friends. I'm reading from scripture so they went to their friends and reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them and when they heard it here's what they did with these other believers these other believers got together when they heard it they lifted their voices together with God they didn't become activists and try to get a group of people to have a vote so that they could have an opportunity to speak to people in the public setting they didn't try to elect the right president or the right congressman so that they can get their way they didn't do that 
They didn't try to go through a political process to make it possible to share the gospel. They went to a power much greater. They went to the power of God himself. And what they prayed for shouldn't surprise us. We'll see about that in just a moment. But I want you to first realize they didn't just pray passively. Like it wasn't a passive moment where they kind of said, I kind of wish I could, I wish I would. It'd be nice if we could. It says that they lifted their voices together to God. Inspired by the Holy Ghost, they vocally expressed themselves, and that in a very loud way, to signify vehemency and ardor of their minds and affections. That's how one commentator put it. They were so overwhelmed by the responsibility to make the gospel known to a lost world that they begged God. They cried out to God. They screamed out to Almighty God, and their prayer was answered. So you may be asking yourself, what is that prayer? What was in that prayer? That's what the rest of our time is together this morning. I'm going to point out what prayer we should be praying when we're longing to have the courage to share the gospel with others. If you're taking notes, I'm at point number one there on the outline. First of all, we need to acknowledge God's sovereignty and authority. The first thing they did was cry out to God, realizing where they fell in the church food chain. They weren't the top of the list. They weren't the decision makers. God was. The word sovereign describes the one and only with supreme power and authority. The only one with supreme power and authority. The word Lord means master. The first thing the church did was when the obstacle was put in front of them, was they reminded themselves that they were being sent by Almighty God, their slave master. They are slaves to God, as are we. That's the term that is used. It's not the same kind of slavery we find in the early colonies here, but it is slavery nonetheless. It is the master giving direction to his people who are his slaves. And God said we should go and share the gospel. They acknowledged who had the authority in their lives first. And folks, that's the first step. If you can't acknowledge God as Lord in your life, you're probably not going to do what he requests of you. You must first embrace the fact that God doesn't ask us to be obedient. He expects us to be obedient in all aspects of life because he is our Lord. Then they acknowledge their obstacles. Now, I want to pause for just a minute. I'm about to get politically incorrect here. I'm going to get politically incorrect because the passage points out specific groupings of people who were obstacles to them being willing to share the gospel. I want to make sure you don't leave early. If you're going to leave, I can understand, but please wait till I finish the next two points because I want to make sure we know how to relate to those people who fall in categories who want us to remain silent. They are not our enemies, and I want you to understand that before we leave here. The passage says, why did the Gentiles rage? They point out the Gentiles and the people's plot in vain, people groups plotting in vain against them. They were acknowledging their obstacles in their prayer to God, those antagonistic groups that didn't want them speaking of Jesus. Not too long ago, the Washington Times had a story, and the title of it was this, 200 openly bigoted anti-Christian groups tagged as intolerant. If you didn't know there were that many then you're like the rest of us. We had no idea. We knew that there was antagonism before us as Christians. We didn't, may not have realized there were that many organized groups. In that article, here's what 
one of the sentences that was stated, these atheist, humanist, gay rights, or anti-Christian groups have made the list because they have tried to silence Christians or remove all public displays of Christian heritage and faith. They've tried to silence Christians from sharing the gospel. Some of the groups that are listed are the Human Rights Campaign, the Southern Poverty Law Center, Freedom from Religious Foundation, and the Gay, Lesbian, and Straight Education Network. Now, I want to hang with me. I want you to hang with me here. Don't leave me now. Get your minds with me a couple of more points, and I want to get to something I really want you to hear. These are all groups that have chosen to forsake the biblical God and who are vehemently opposed to others coming to know our God. They are concerned because we are proselytizing. My brothers and sisters, let me just be real bold with you. Let me be real honest with you. We are proselytizing. We are asking others to consider accepting Jesus as their Savior. Some groups will say, we don't proselytize. Well, we don't have an option because we believe there's only one way to God because Jesus said it, it is through Jesus Christ. If there's only one way to God, then the only way for us to share that God, share that Jesus with others is to look people in the eye who have another ideal or another faith and say to them, I want you to know about my Jesus. There's no getting around it. Let's stop playing games with semantics and let's just get to it and realize we want you to know our Jesus and accept his offer of grace. That's what we're about. But not only were there groups of people that they prayed about, there were also those in authority. We noticed kings and rulers and Herod and Pontius Pilate. And some of you in this room are in places where you're being told to remain silent. Or it's a silent understanding, anyway, that you can't speak of Christ. Some school administrators are telling folks they can't speak of Jesus. Some college profs are being told they can't speak of Christ. Some bosses are telling their workers that they shouldn't bring a Bible to work. Or some students are being told by teachers that they can't speak of Jesus. Government officials are telling folks they can't speak of Christ. Now that we've acknowledged kind of those that are out there, let's make sure we understand something. These people are not our enemies. They are our neighbors. These people are not our enemies. They are our neighbors. There's a pastor named Tim Keller who once sat on a stage like this and hundreds of college students in a secular setting. And it was very interesting, the situation he found himself in. It was a Q&A time. And the, the moderator um, actually had written a book on, on gay rights. And he's sitting with an evangelical preacher. And he um, asked Tim this question. What do churches have against homosexuals? The Bible says, love your neighbor. Tim Keller went on to speak of the story of um, the Good Samaritan. And he spoke of the fact that this Jew was in a ditch and he got passed up by a couple of religious types. But when the Samaritan came, who, by the way, was the greatest enemy of the Jews, they wouldn't even speak to each other. People went out of their way to not to go through a Samaritan town if they were a Jew, lest they be beaten, and vice versa, by the way. He told the story of the Good Samaritan. That Jesus told us in that story to love our neighbor. When he came to the end of his comments... He said, it's the job of a Christian to do what Jesus did on the cross and to give himself for people who are opposing him. 
A Christian is supposed to say, I serve the needs and interests of all my neighbors, whether gay or straight, Hindu or Muslim, my brothers and sisters. You will have a much greater impact on the world and the society you're in by loving your neighbor with the, with the goal of someday sharing Christ with them than becoming an activist trying to change the political tone. We need to love those who question our beliefs and serve them like neighbors. There's only two types of people for us, if I can simplify it really to, a, to its bottom level, and that is you're either my brother and sister in Christ or you're my neighbor, but you're never my enemy. I will love you no matter what because what you have the opportunity to receive is the love I've been given, and that is through the love of Jesus Christ. So they had those who opposed them. Then they had threats. And now, Lord, look upon their threats is what the passage says. The threat of losing your job, the threat of losing your career opportunities, the loss of friendships, the loss of reputation, the loss of death. We will have threats. I have a friend who teaches at a university near here, and he was sharing with me. He's been there about 30 years, and he said to me a few months ago that for the first time in his life, he realizes if he speaks of his faith in public, he will never get moved to the next level. There's not a shot in Hades that they're going to take him up to the next level. And he said, I'll take it every time. Do what you will. Just acknowledge the fact that there are those who oppose us. And once we acknowledge the fact that they oppose us, we can say to ourselves, we move forward with the gospel anyway because we now know who the opposition is. And I'm going to love them until I hope they can hear the gospel. Let's move on quickly. Acknowledge God's predeterminations. In their prayer, they said to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. When we bring the good news to those in need of a Savior, we will sometimes find ourselves let down, put down, or brought down. Knowing that God realized the outcome of the conversation long before the conversation took place reminds us that our conversation was not in vain. Just due to the fact that the conversation was in God's predetermined plan tells us that the plan is substantial and important and it may bear fruit. Jesus told those who were going to go share the gospel with others, here's what he said, John 4, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored. They've labored before you showed up, and you have entered into their labor. My brothers and sisters in Christ, when you share the gospel, don't anticipate a response. The response is always going to be, yes, I want to become a follower of Jesus Christ. But remember this, even when there's pushback or you're taken down by the person's response that you may be planting the seed that grows to the point someone else harvests that which you planted. Oftentimes you share the gospel with someone and they will tell you they don't, they're not interested, they don't want you sharing that with them, it's not something they ever talk about. It's amazing how many times you talk to someone who 10 years later walks down the aisle of the church and says, I received Jesus, I just wish I could find Sally. Because when I was in college, she shared Jesus with me, and I laughed at her and made fun of her. But because of her influence, today I receive Jesus. Don't think it's in vain. God predestined the conversation. Then pray for boldness. They pray to speak your word with all boldness. The Greek word behind the word boldness is paresia. It has multiple meanings, including, so this is what you're praying for. Listen to a quick list. You're praying for, you're praying for courage and fearlessness. You're praying for outspokenness or frankness. 
You're praying for use of speech that conceals nothing. F.F. Bruce translates the word freedom of speech. That is to speak freely that which you know about Jesus Christ so that others can realize what he can do in their lives. You speak freely. And then anticipate God clearing the way. The passage says, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now, if you understand scripture, you understand this. Miracles didn't happen so that somebody could go, wasn't that cool? That's not why God works miracles. In almost every instance in Scripture, when a miracle takes place and there's understanding given of what happened after that, someone shares the gospel and people receive Jesus. But those miracles didn't end with Jesus. They continued with his apostles. And you can think of a quick list. Let me give you one. They, they healed the lame after Jesus was gone. Prison doors were opened by angels after Jesus' resurrection. Paul blinded Elymas. They cast out demons. An earthquake unloosed the chains and doors in the Philippian prison. Paul raised Eutychus from the dead. Paul was bitten by a poisonous snake without being affected. And the list could go on and on and on. Jesus said that those who follow him who were in the faith would do greater things that he had done. What we see here is that that took place. Acts 5.12 actually tells us not that signs and wonders were accomplished, but it actually says were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. When God does signs and wonders through the apostles, it clears the way for the gospel to be verbalized. And that's the same with us. Now, before you may be thinking, is Howerton telling me that I'm about to go out and start healing people? Raising people from the dead? First of all, I'd say you couldn't do that. Jesus could through you if he chose to. I'm not saying he's going to. We don't see that often in our world. But I will tell you this. One of the greatest miracles that ever occurred was you becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. Telling your story of how you were saved and how your life has changed since then is the miracle story that many people need to hear. I've shared mine multiple times. I won't do the elongated version just to illustrate for you. I came back from a party in my freshman year in college. I mean, just stone drunk. Stone drunk. I mean, drunk out of my mind. And I was in my dorm room that night. I wish I could explain what happened. The only thing I recall is that scripture verses that my parents forced me to memorize when I was a kid started running through my mind. And in some way that still today I don't understand, Jesus miraculously transformed me. He saved me and... In, in an instant, I was sober. I mean, in an instant, I was sober. And all I could think about doing was running around telling my friends about Jesus. I ran down the hallway to the guy that I was at the party with and said, man, you've got to hear what i got to say. Couldn't wake him up, but nonetheless, I was trying to tell him the story. When I share that story to unbelievers, they look at me like, are you nuts? And I'm able to say to them, hey, man, that's a true story. Anything like that ever happened in your life? And then I go on to share other people's stories that I've heard as a pastor. And they begin to realize that there is a miraculous Jesus who loves them. They're sometimes willing to hear what I have to say because God pried the door open through simply a story of the miracle that took place in my own life. You have that story if you're a believer. And then finally, and maybe almost as important as anything I've said, listen closely. If you're kind of hanging with me, hang with me real deeply right now because this is the last point, but it's important. 
Empower the Holy Spirit in you. Empower the Holy Spirit in you. Those of you who are Sunday school teachers and Bible teachers and seminary grads, you're thinking to yourself, now wait a minute, that's backwards. I think he said that backwards. I think Howerton got that backwards this morning. What he meant to say was, let the Holy Spirit empower you. That's not what I meant to say. (laughs) I said exactly what I meant to say, is that you need to let the Holy Spirit be empowered by you. The word empowered means to give someone the authority or power to do something. When you became a follower of Jesus Christ, we know that the Holy Spirit indwelled your heart. If you're a believer, the Holy Spirit is in you right now. Jesus said that when the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power. That is dunamis. That is dynamite. You'll have a power that is explosive within you. That the Holy Spirit is the one that will speak through you and do His work through you. But what I find is if we're not very careful, we have the Holy Spirit in us, but we still go to do these things in our own power. And we don't have the power. The Holy Spirit is the one that has the power within us. The Holy Spirit is like, uh, He's on the edge of His seat, okay? He's like a high school basketball team in the locker room waiting to sprint into Rupp Arena for the state championship game. The team is forecasted to win by 20. He's eager to sprint into the gospel conversation you're about to engage in. Before you go to speak to someone about Jesus, or when the door, Lord opens the door and you're standing there and it's, an, it's a spontaneous moment, you need to pray, Holy Spirit, I empower you to do through me what only you can do. Holy Spirit, I want you to speak through me right now. Holy Spirit, tell me if I should remain silent. Holy Spirit, let me know what I should speak. Speak through me now. Now, some of y'all are thinking to yourself, now that's pretty miraculous in and of itself. It really is. And sometimes he's not going to be as visible to you as you'd like. But I can assure you of this. You need to always go to share the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit rather than your own power because he is God and you are not. And when you allow the Holy Spirit to speak through you and do His work through you, you will have much greater outcomes than when you go in your own name. The other thing is, when you begin to pray to the, ask the Holy Spirit to work in and through you, as you're beginning to share the gospel, you find a boldness you can't have on your own. If you look throughout the book of Acts, you'll find the church prayed for boldness, and in almost every instance it doesn't say God gave them boldness, it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to allow the Holy Spirit to become your voice box and give you the courage you need. And when you do that, you'll make a difference with the gospel. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these brothers and sisters. I ask that this morning you will do a work in our lives, that you will help us to be all that we should be and do all that we should do. I'm going to ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a moment. I uh, have a request of you. Maybe some of y'all are in the place that I was in. And that is, I had to look at my own life this week and repent. I had to say, Lord, I am not sharing the gospel as I should. That I've got people I know who need your son, Jesus, but I have not been willing to speak to them about you. 
My prayer was a prayer of repentance. We don't talk much about believers repenting in our churches today. We talk a lot about unbelievers needing to repent and become believers, but we believers can repent too. That is, we're not doing what we should be doing. We're walking in the wrong way. We're going to turn around and walk in the way we should. It may be that some of y'all are as convicted as I was this week right now. But you realize there's someone in your life who needs Christ. But you've been really hesitant. In fact, you've not been a witness much for Christ for many years or many months or decades. This morning you may want to do what I have done. And you may want to just say, I want to repent, Lord. And I want to begin sharing your gospel. When you open the door, I'll do that. If you're a person this morning who is in that place, everybody's had every, every head bowed, every eye closed. I say that because I want you to have the freedom to raise your hand. If you're in that place that I was in this week and you need to repent and say, Lord, I'm going to be a witness for you, just raise your hand right now and let me see your hand. Raise them high. Raise them high. Leave them up, please, because I'm going to pray for you in a second. In the balcony, please. Yes. Raise your hands high. Keep them up if you would. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Yes. If just those of us who have our hands up right now would begin sharing the gospel, we'd see hundreds of people saved through Eastwood Baptist Church in the months to come. I want to pray for you all, Father. I thank you for those who lifted their hands this morning. I thank you that they're humble enough to say, yes, I know I've been missing the mark, but I'm not going to miss the mark any longer. I want to pray for them, Lord. I want to pray that they will allow your Holy Spirit to be alive in them that your Holy Spirit would fill them so much that they can't help but speak of what they have seen and heard through Jesus Christ. I ask, Lord, that as they go about their daily routine, that this moment will not be forgotten, but your Holy Spirit will remind them often of the commitment they've made this morning and that they will learn what they need to learn in order to make your gospel known. Lord, thank you for those who made this decision. Thank you. Amen. If you leave your heads bowed,